So let's start by going over last week. We had a breakthrough last week in our class. What was, what was the, the nature of our discussion last week? <laughs> Last week we talked about uh, we were talking about the uh, the reasons for creation. That's right. Going up and down and realizing that no, there's there's for every reason that you're going to come up with for creation. It's one of the only classes where I actually remember that um, we can come up with a very good counter argument. And it's not good enough. You know, they realize, well, the, the creation was not made for something that we recognize as a reason. Mm. Oh, yeah, now I remember. Good, good, good. And what was actually that concept that's a little bit closer to when you look at creation is the concept of taiva, that, that irresistible. And so we talked about that, that we, we, we defined it as lust, but it's really just an irresistible thrust. It's almost how I see it, right? And, and so that's at the root of it. And then, and then we, we spoke about different forms of taiva. What is your taiva? You know, your taiva can be oriented towards uh, limited material things, or, but or that concept. You can have, a, you can have a, a taiva that's about momentary lust momentary or momentary lust. pleasures, and you can have a taiva that is about eternal pleasures. So it's almost like taiva is, is, is unlimited, it's infinite. It's the infinity principle inside of us. And so, if you, if you orient your taiva towards the unlimited, the eternal, that's a, that's a then that's the idea. Kind of connection. Yeah. To, to, you get to a different level just by orienting your taiva for the infinite. So now, still, still working on it. What? Still working on it. So this was our this was our incredible breakthrough last week with regards to because the moment you try to understand. Hashem's purpose for creating the world, you're limiting the purpose. So why would you want to limit the purpose for creating the world? You know, I was, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I was, I was reading is exactly on this point in The Guide of the Perplexed, Maimonides, which is a fantastic book that we should probably study together, okay? He's talking precisely about that, about the reasons. Right. I read it last week, and then at some point he goes, you know, get to a point, it's because it's, the way he, he doesn't use the word taiva, but he, what he says is that it, it, eventually you get to a place where it's because God willed it so. Like everything is the way God willed it to be. Willed. So if you remember, if you remember a few weeks ago, we spoke about the difference between willpower and delight, right? But we said that willpower is the extension of the soul. And delight, a taiva, is the essence of the soul. So the Altareva takes Maimonides' idea even a step further, saying that it can't be that Hashem willed this world because the idea of ratzon, the idea of willpower, is the extension of the soul. It's really that Hashem had a taiva. And that's why the previous Rebbe is talking about elevating our desires like higher and higher. Exactly. It's, that is really... The Rebbe goes through an incredible, incredible... There's a couple times where the Rebbe speaks and you're like, okay, is this prophecy or is this actual words? The Rebbe basically says that the problem, according to Kabbalah, the reason why the Jews had to leave Egypt so fast 
is because the Jews had hit the 49th level of impurity. And had they hit the 50th level, they would never have been redeemed. It's the whole, the whole idea when it says that they had to run, they didn't have any time and matzah, the food of faith. What do you mean? Two million people? It took them less than 18 minutes to leave? That's not what it's about. It's about the fact that the people had sunken so low into the Egyptian culture, there would have been no way to redeem them. And what was the Egyptian culture that they sunk so low? It was a, a culture of Tibus. And then the Rebbe says that we are the reincarnation of the Egyptians. This generation is the reincarnation of the Jews who lived in Egypt and that we have the opportunity to finally realize what they weren't able to realize. One of the main jobs that we have in our generation and this time is to overcome our tithes. That is a global generational purpose. So he's likening present-day North America to Egypt? To the Jews. No, the Jews that live today to the Jews that lived in Egypt. No, but what about, what does that say about society at large? Yeah. Where, where we're living? Well, if you think about, there's a lot of similarities between the Jews of Egypt and the Jews today. A lot of similarities. You, by the way, there's a lot of people who don't really understand what was going on in Egypt. Hmm. There's a, you know that in the plague of darkness, 80% of the Jewish people died. You know why they died? They didn't want to leave Egypt. I don't understand. Do you read the Haggadah? I read the Haggadah. The Haggadah says, backbreaking labor. Yeah. Pharaoh made them make. Why wouldn't they want to leave? Because when Moses came... It was during the plague of darkness that they died? Yeah. When Moses came and said, let's go, they said, well, wait, 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 wait. We have houses. Because yeah. Pharaoh took care of them. Course. They had good houses, they had good cars, they had a nice lifestyle. They worked hard. They worked really hard. They were slaves to their work. Mm-hmm. But they lived well. They worked hard and played hard. So Moses comes to this world. Oh, where are we going, Moses? Oh, wherever Hashem says, come on. Come on. You're going to expect us to buy that? Wherever Hashem says. What do you think we are? We've got things. We've been building up this place. Look at these cities, Pisim and Ramses. Look what we've done here. We've built the infrastructure. Egypt is the is the is the superpower of the world. We're yeah, we're in the superpower of the world, and we were the ones who contributed to making it the superpower. There was a direct correlation between our ancestor Joseph and then our work in Egypt, and how Egypt became the first great superpower. Why do you want us to leave this? We're we have a certain sense of certainty. We're not worried about tomorrow's. Okay, fine. So we work hard. Okay. What's the word? We're not, are we worried about hard work? I don't understand. We work hard, but we're, we're taken care of. But yeah, we work hard and we play hard. Sound familiar? Imagine Moses walking into this room right now. Imagine Moses. Hey, good morning. Imagine Moses walks into this room right now. And Moses says. Right now, Fred, we're going to Israel. Drop everything. Wait, 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 wait. wait, wait. I can't wait. Let's do it. (laughs) Liana would be probably the only one who would just say, okay, fine, whatever. (laughs) Only fine, whatever, let's go? Yeah. Everybody else... Everybody else, we have to sell sell our houses and sell our cars and sell our lives. Just leave. Give me a couple weeks. This is what Moses said. Leave. Right, leave. Forget leave. about selling your house. Abandon Give your house. Give me an enter going. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I would go. 
You see? And that is really, that is the great, the Rebbe says, that is the great test. If, if, if Moses, because what, what do we believe? We have an eternal belief in, in, in a hope in Mashiach. And the idea of Mashiach is that exact experience that the Jews had in Egypt. That what we are living right now is not reality. This is not the way the world was meant to be. This is not the way that God had intended the world to be. That God intended a euphoric world. We're supposed to live in a world of peace. We're supposed to live in a world where the wolf lies with the lamb. We're supposed to live in a world where there's an absolute connection and desire for spirituality and holiness. That is our job. Not a world of which people are looking after momentary pleasures. We'll be back after a quick break. Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers? <laughs> Hi, I'm Aliza Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker, and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. But you know, when do you look after momentary pleasures? You look after momentary pleasures when, I've had this experience a few times in when your level of energy is very, very low, okay? And you get, you get the feeling of boredom, which boredom is, is just the other side of overstimulation. Right. Okay? When you have little moments of overstimulation and then your energy drops, you're an addict. You're looking for that next high. You're looking for that next moment of momentary, but it's because your baseline is so low. That's right. That you're chasing that next sugar spike. Very interesting. Right? And boredom didn't exist before our society was so oriented around entertainment. Didn't exist as much. People, you know, you put kids in, 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 in a grass field and they're gonna find ads and they're gonna, they're gonna find stuff that's interesting. But if you separate them, you put them in a concrete house and you give them screens, and they get blasted for two hours with a movie, well, two hours later, if they're still in that concrete block and there's nothing going on, they get bored. Well, and with video games, too. It actually changes the, the neural pathways of the brain. Of course. And boredom is then, then feeds depression and anxiety and all these things. Now, let's go to the next level. The Alter Rebbe says that what is the greatest taiva? What is the purpose of a taiva? What, uh, uh, an actual pleasure, a spiritual pleasure. Or if a taiva is nitkain kasha, regarding a taiva, regarding a spiritual desire, there's no question. Why? Because we talk about Hashem's lust to create the world. The word taiva, there's no why. God creates the why, and God creates the answers to the why. It's an oxymoron. It's a contradictory expression. If Hashem is eternal, then to say that Hashem has to give an answer 
is limiting Hashem to questions and answers. To the realm of rationality which Hashem transcends by definition. So, Hashem can certainly ask the question. Hashem can certainly give the answers. Whenever He wants, however He wants, wherever He wants. But to say that humans, we humans, have to give, be given a limiting explanation as to why Hashem created the world. Like, who are you, EST 1976, that you decided that you have to know the reason why Hashem created the world? You are a limited being. Everything you know is limited to time and space. Everything you have, tremendous limits to your understanding. Even if we were to tell you the secrets of the universe, you couldn't even fathom it because you don't even know anything beyond the universe. So how would you even be able to fathom the secrets of the universe? So you, human being, that was created in the past who knows how many years, whatever it is, the past less than 100 years, you decided that you have to know the infinite purpose of the entire universe? Isn't that exactly the core of, uh, of, of God's answer to Job? Yes, that's exactly what God said to Job. Were you there with me when I created that? <laughs> do, you know, you? do you know the purpose? But what gives you the audacity? Mm. What, your ego, you're, you're so egotistical that you decided that you have to know the purpose of creation. Mm-hmm. And unless you understand the purpose of God's infinite purpose of creation, then it has no purpose. Has no purpose. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what you decided because you're so smart and because you know the great secrets of humanity that you decided that if, there's, if I don't understand the purpose in my limited stupidity understanding, then there's no purpose. Mm-hmm. It's like someone who's saying, I can't see the brain, so there's no brain. Obviously, right? Can you see the brain? There are a lot of things like this in the world, though. Yeah. In the same way. So, it's the ultimate, we, we, ultimate human hubris. It's, it's unbelievable because... I don't understand it. It doesn't exist. For some reason, the author ever says, for some reason, the created wants to become the creator. The created has to always know it's created. And the creator has to always know it's the creator. And if the created wants to become the creator, then how is it going to be created? <laughs> Such... Such a limited, and if, and if, let's say, we had the understanding, let's say there was a brilliant idea of which right now here at this table there would be this wow, spark of inspiration, and we'd say, wow, this is the reason why Hashem created the world. You want to believe in that, Hashem? <laughs> you want to believe in that, lim- that, well, that much limited? A limited Hashem that you can understand? That's Hashem well, you, you know, want to ascribe to? You know who does the most damage in this, in this realm of questioning? I find religious people. It's of course because, because they justify everything. They justify everything. Absolutely. And then when they come up with explanations that are limited, that are ignorant, other people say, "Ah, here's the proof." The rabbi- no, religion is bullshit, and there's no such thing as God. Because look at the reason they're giving. The reasons are garbage. Yeah, the reasons are garbage. I agree. They are limited human beings. In the seven. <laughs> in the, in the, yeah, they cause the most. In the seventies, oh, the right. chief rabbi of Israel, his name was Bakshi Doron. And they came to him and they said, why did the Holocaust happen? And he said, without flinching an eye, because the Jewish people were sinners. That's why it happened. Right there. The Rebbe, who was a survivor, the Rebbe spoke crying for two and a half hours that Shabbat, saying, how can anyone give an answer? Hashem is infinite. 
Hashem is beyond our understanding. Why? And any answer we give is the no, wrong answer. The, 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 the Rebbe was the, the, so yeah, upset it, about it. Rebbe, so like, upset like, about it. Not a lot of religious people are, are, are like people like the Rebbe, let me tell you. The Rebbe was so upset yeah. about it. The Rebbe said, if anyone gives you an answer for the Holocaust... No, that's crazy. No they, they are justifying. Like, no, right. like, they are justifying. Really like, no, yeah. no, but the impact too. The impact. Religious people don't reason that way. I know, but it's like no one reasons that way. This level is like out of everyone. Yeah, yeah. But you know, you know, little. I, I think you know the the. No, I mean, I think in my little world and my little understanding, that I think it's it's to take out all the like we talk about clipper, you know. Oh, like take everything out and, and see the world like it is. I, I think this is the way to do it. You know, because we, we tell stories, a lot of stories that, that kind of dilute the world or, or transform it the way we, we see it. But, but, you know, just to be true to what's going on and true about what you have to believe. And I think it's, you could, and I think, I, I don't say it like this, but I think the other day it was on that thing saying like, it's just about like be like, what you're supposed to be, you know, like uh, yeah. chesed, la bonté, share, uh, uh, be good with the people. Uh, but uh, first respect, of all, respect a higher power. You know, you know. If you yeah. if you answer the question, then you're justifying the acts of of cruel people. Exactly. That's why would you be the advocate for the cruel people? Why are you, you, another, another why are you Hitler's advocate? Let me give, let me give you another reason for the, the Holocaust. Okay, another reason that is again, it's stupid. It's it's a violation of reality to come up with these reasons, okay? But I'm, I'm, I can say, also, from a positive perspective, the reason the Holocaust happened is so that the state of Israel oh, would be created. Okay? Yeah, 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 I know. That's another I know. thing. Yeah. But wait a minute, time out. Like, how would I ever know that? How would I ever know? First of all. No, this is yes, a reaction of this, but this is not. Yes, but the, but first right. of all, I guarantee you an infinite. How can I ever know that? Like, An infinite God does not need a holocaust to create a state of Israel. No, no, no. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> like, why are you even thinking, what, because you, you have yeah, to, yeah, like... Because, like no, that's the way it happened, but what am I to say that the reason this happened is because so that this would happen? What did we How say? How can I have that knowledge? What are the three impossible? levels? There's like, Teva, there's nature, what, there's miracles, and that there's a fact that people experience the miracles don't appreciate it, Right. Mm-hmm. So what you're doing is you're taking something that is a miracle and you're ascribing it to, uh, to nature. What is, uh, you're literally taking a miracle and ascribing it to nature. The state of Israel, there's no one who will debate the fact that it's an unbelievable miracle. Unbelievable miracle in our lifetime that we were able to see. That not only was it a miracle that it that, that happened, not only is it a miracle that it actually went through, not only, but it's a miracle that they won one war, and it's a miracle they won the next war, and it's a miracle they won the next war. Not only did they win it, but they took back Jerusalem, and it's a miracle that still to this day that there's still there's still a state of Israel to this day. Every single day of over seventy years of the state of Israel has been an absolute miracle, and yes, nobody sure. is going to deny that it is the miracle of our time. Could we define a miracle? Because we talked about miracle, the concept of miracle. Can we define the miracle simply as an occurrence? that we are unable to explain. We're just unable to rationally, within the laws of nature, explain the totality of a certain event. On the contrary, the moment you explain it, you just, you, you just stole the miracle from the miracle. You demystify it. That's right. But Why reality, would you want to demystify the miracle? Yeah. So, but in reality, we can't explain it. Right? Can you explain? There's so many things we can't explain. I can't explain anything, really. Like, 
we can explain things like in a very, very descriptive way, but we don't understand really how the, things the, came into being. We don't know. The no, Kaiser. We know the how, like we said many times. We know the how, but not the why. The Kaiser, the Kaiser turns to Bismarck we don't even know the hell. and says, tell me. We break down, like, we can describe everything. Even genetic to the, like, but we don't know why. We can describe part of the how. Yeah, yeah. the how. No, no, we got a, a lot of piece of the how, though. But uh, you see, yeah, come on, we, we do some crazy things now. You can transplant uh, different organs, do yeah. like crazy stuff that it would be, you would say this uh, uh, 200 years to somebody, he would tell you, are you nuts? Yeah, are you nuts? Mind You're going to take a heart from a guy to put it to another guy yeah. and he's going to survive. Yeah. You know, no, we, we really far, but, but I agree, there's a lot of, of still. But, we, we, we don't know the why. We can break down the cell to the little thing and the DNA, etc., etc. But at the end, why? I mean, so the Rebbe says... Why is there? Why is there? The Rebbe says that we are the why generation. We're the why generation. And the why can either build us or it could destroy us. Why? The why is so incredible that it has the ability to build us up or destroy us. The Kaiser goes, says to Bismarck, I don't know if you've ever heard this. He says... What, what is the secret? No. <laughs> what is the secret of the universe? And Bismarck turns and says, the Jews, your majesty, the Jews. What was he, what was he saying? That how is it possible that the, the Jews exist? The improbability. The improbability, the fact that, you know, the, the, the Jews can still exist. That is the, that's the secret. We are the miracle. The fact that we're here in 2018, after all the persecution, after 70 years ago, a third of our people were destroyed. Here we are in a free country, in a free place, sitting here without a worry in the world at a Wednesday morning at around 930 in the morning. And we are debating the secrets of the universe. Here we are. Could you imagine what the Talmudists would have given? For this when they were in wow. exile in Babylon. Could you imagine what the great rabbis through the Middle Ages would have given for this? Could you imagine what the Hasidim in Soviet Russia who were hiding in cellars, what they would give for this moment that we have right now? And what? Who are we? We don't appreciate the miracle. We're sitting here. We weren't sure, should I come, I, that, this, that, with the other way. We're sitting here, we don't even appreciate no, it. It's never been so easy to be Jewish of now. I mean, compared to every uh, and, time in the world. And what happens when Jews... People vote with their feet. When people, exactly. What happens when Jews are not persecuted? No, they, I know. They that's, that's how we... They disappear. It's the driver. The vanishing of... By the way, by the way, the Alter Rebbe, when he was... The, when the, he was, the, the, the Rebbe, the yeah. reason why he was pro-Zar, he... Is, is not because he didn't like Napoleon. The Alter Rebbe knew that if Napoleon would win, the Jews would assimilate. That the Jewish people are the most religious under persecution. Yeah. And the Alter Rebbe didn't want persecution, but the Alter Rebbe wanted the Jewish people to, to, to be spiritual and to be connected and to do Torah and mitzvot. That's really interesting. And that's why the Alter Rebbe was really against Napoleon. But that's why when you say we're the Y generation, okay, he also probably foresaw that we're going in a direction where, and the Rebbe, the Rebbe saw this in his lifetime. He saw America, like yeah. he saw tolerant America and Jews succeeding well within in North America and even like elsewhere around the world. He, he saw 
um, uh, countries and nations becoming becoming more and more respecting human rights and so forth. He saw that, right? And so we're the Y generation. Why? Because to the extent that we need persecution to have a Jewish identity, our Jewish identity is going to wither away. That's right. We need to have a positive reason for our connection. That's why. That's why what we're doing right now is imperative to the Jewish continuity. Mm. There's no way, the, the Rebbe says, there's no way for the Jewish people to survive this generation without this study. This particular study that we're studying right now. Because this is the, the answers to the Y generation. We need these answers more than any generation before. And that's why in previous generations they weren't into this as much as we are today. And they didn't need it. Hashem focuses on that which we need, not that which we want. They didn't need it, so they didn't have it. Now, let's go, let's go a step further. Since the reason for creation comes from God, and God is beyond human reasoning, therefore, the part of God involved in creation is the true, absolute essence of God. It is similar to a person who has a particular taiva, has a particular pleasure. Now you stop and ask him, excuse me, sir, the chocolate that you have in front of you, where is it coming from? Where's, tell me, tell me, this chocolate, where did it come from? Who made it? I want to know. No, no, no. I don't want to know which factory made it. I don't want to know which company made it. You can look in the back in the wrapper. I want to know which person made it. Who is the person that made your chocolate? Tell me, what was the reason why the person made the chocolate? What, ins- what, what inspired them to make this particular bar of chocolate? No, no, I don't want to know what inspired them to make chocolate in general. I want to know what inspired them to make that particular bar of chocolate. I want to know what were they thinking the second that they produced that bar of chocolate. I want to know, what, are the, what did they do? So I want to know, what was the farmer thinking when he was milking the cow? He's not going to always be able to give you these answers. Well, and then you look at them. Why do you want to know what the farmer was thinking when he was milking the cow? Who cares? He was milking the cow. And the cow had milk. Because a taiva comes from a place within the person that transcends questions and answers. It comes from the very essence of the individual. If you want to get to Asmut, if you want to get to the essence of the person... The only way to get there is through the taiva. You turn to them and say, what is your taiva? And then you know their essence. Isn't that what, like, we know what a, so- what a sofa does when he's writing a, sh- what a when he's writing a, like, a, a scroll for a mezuzah. Like, we know what, what, they're, what, when, what they're thinking when they're doing, they're writing a Torah scroll. Yeah, why do we know? Because the Torah demands them to have a certain word on their mouth and a certain thought in their head. That's part of being a sofer. Why do you think the Torah demands this? What the Torah cares no, what you're thinking? Write, uh, the like Torah should just care about the the cow, yeah. the the person milked the cow. What do you care about the, what the person was thinking? The Torah cares. The Torah yeah. cares about intention. Imagine you were you 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 were writing something super super holy. You have to be in a state, and and some they even fast. I mean, I, I saw a documentary yeah. on this. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want? Do you understand? Do you want to? Do you want to get to your essence? 
And just in that that I am following you. Do <laughs> <laughs> so you want to get to your essence? You want to get to the essence of who you are? Find out what, not what your taiva is at this moment. What is your essence of who you are? What is your taiva? What do you truly, truly desire in a pleasureful way? But you should do this every, all the time. It's just like we forget to do it because it's time consuming, you know, to have this kind of, so that's why the world goes fast, but we should do this every I'm gonna, time. I'm every gonna, time you do something, you I'm gonna tell right. you, I'm gonna tell you the big mistake of relationships in our world today. It's getting married. Mm-hmm. No, really. <laughs> You're a lucky you know man. You quote, uh, marriage is the principal cause of divorce. <laughs> 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 Men look for answers. Women look for questions. The nature of men is to look for answers, and the nature for women is to look for questions. We live in a world that needs to look for questions, not look for answers. The sexual revolution changed the entire world in a very, very, in, in many, many good ways, but many negative ways as well. And one of the negative ways is that what happens? The, the purpose of creation is to find eternal lusts, eternal desires. Women crave intimacy. Men crave momentary lusts. The women gave in to the men in the sexual revolution and they turned their intimacy into momentary lusts. And today we live in a society that only gives, that only gives credence and importance to momentary lusts. The number one industry in our world today is an industry of which the only way to find it is if you truly search for it and it's not easy. Maybe it's easier with the internet. But the internet really changed it. And that is the, 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 the the industry of momentary sexual lust. It's the number one, the number one industry today. And what happens? There's no end to it. Oh, you think you're satisfied? No, you're not satisfied. You need the toys and you need the, need the, the, the this and you need the that and you need to do this and let's try this experiment and that experiment. And everyone is, is trying. Why? It consumes you. Because it, it consumes you to the point where that's all people think about today. People are looking, it's, it's changed our society to the point. And if the women were truly women, the women would not give in to the men's momentary lusts and they would demand intimacy. They would demand intimacy because it's only through the intimacy that we can truly understand who Hashem is. You want to appreciate Hashem? You want to appreciate a spiritual taiva? You want to appreciate Hashem's purpose for creating the world? The best analogy is intimacy. The best analogy. Because you have to be complete in it. You have to be whole. That's right. What's interesting with this conversation about reasons and, and, and lust, it's a very, very interesting. So, so I, I consider myself a rational person. I, tr- I look at the world in a rational way. I've trained myself. Okay, so the re- like this phone could be a reason. Okay, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a it's well defined. It's got boundaries. It's a reason, right? It's limited. It's nicely conceptually neat that I can understand it and I can apprehend the world in this limited way. Okay, to me, the breakthrough with the taiva was the following. It's not that taiva is an essence inside of this phone. It's not that. 
It's that these reasons do not encapsulate the purpose of everything. These are just, these are just temporary devices that I've created with the help of others. And right, for in, example, in order to navigate the world, the problem with modern medicine is that we go after the symptom and not after the core, the, the, the essence. That's right. And so what, what, what I find interesting now is the discussion with Taiva, what it's done is that my reasons used to be like this. It's like a black thing. And it's now the way I see it is it's almost as if this is still there, but it's transparent. It's still there. The reasons are still there. The we reason, still need them. We need them. They're always going to be there. Like we need them, right? They're not there because the entire cosmos is done because of them. No, 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 no. We need reasons to navigate the world. They're still there. But what I find with Taiva is that it's become transparent. And it, it all exists in a broader sort of environment of will and or, or, or lust or taiva, that, that, that desire. And it's- Will is an external and taiva is an internal. Exactly, yeah. And, and you understand? It, it's trans-rational. The concept of taiva is trans-rational. It, it, it exists before, during, and after the reason. It's, That's why, so who are you? You are what you taiva. What do you, what do you lust after? What do you truly in essence desire? What is taking up your mind and your heart and your soul, your emotions, your feelings? What's taking up your day? What are you, what are you, are you, are you going after money? Are you going after, are you going after yeah, sex? That, what are you going after? It's based on course, fear. Missing, fear of missing out, fear of not having enough, fear of death, fear of not surviving, fear, 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 fear. But th- that's, that is where we have to be. What is driving us? What is driving us? If it's a momentary taiva that's driving us, it's never gonna end. There's no way to stop it. It will go on and on and on. And once you have more, you want more. Whoever has 100 wants 200. That's what Talmud says. Whoever has 200 wants 400. Whoever has 400 wants eight. It's no end. So money is Like mathematics. Taiva. Money is pure taiva. Pure taiva. Pure taiva. Mm-hmm. It's actually the vehicle through which momentary taivas exist. Because if you have money, you can really experience momentary tithes in this world in a way that, uh, that you couldn't without money. Of course. But I would say physical pleasure also is, is another very core tithes. Physical yeah, yeah, yeah. pleasure. But yeah. they link together. together. They link together. I mean, like a twin. Yeah. Uh, yeah they're, they're related for sure. You know? But some people, you can be a hedonist and not necessarily be a, a hardcore materialist. You know what I mean? Yeah. You could just pursue yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that high. Absolutely, and, and, and a lot of people do that, and they're not hardcore materialists, yeah. and so they think no, they're better. Like this, yeah, they, they, they totally can enjoy something and give it away the next. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. After yeah. when they're done with it, you that's know, right. yeah, it's true. And they think of themselves as morally better because they're not like hardcore Probably. materialists. It's and the hardcore materialists think that they're better than the yeah, yeah, yeah. diseased hedonists because, true. like, hey, we're building something. Well, uh, that's true. Yeah. So, let's go back to creation and God. Ultimately. God does transcend why, and therefore no one can ask why. But uh, there's another question that can be asked. If we can't ask why, and we're the why generation, so what's the question we should ask? Not why did he desire creation? That's not interesting to us anymore. 
I don't, I don't, I'm never going to be able to fathom that. Why did Hashem desire creation? What I really want to know is what was Hashem's spiritual lust for creating the world? What was the lust that Hashem had when Hashem created the world? Because if I can, if I can start understanding Hashem's lust, then perhaps I can understand where my lust should be. The al answers this. That Hashem had a spiritual lust to have a home. Bitach tonim. In the lowest of all worlds. Dira bitach tonim. That is the definition of it. That Hashem had a spiritual lust to have a home in the lowest of all worlds. But why? Because it was the must needed there? I'll explain. The reason why is because tach tonim literally means lower. Dira literally means house. When we use this expression of dira b'tach we're referring to a home in a place that is the lowest of the low. This word expresses two ideas. Follow me for a second. Number one, that a dira, a true home, needs to be in tach It needs to be in the lower worlds. In the lower worlds, not peripheral to the lower worlds, not looking down at the lower worlds. It needs to be absolutely in the lower worlds. That's number one. Number two, he wants a dira to be generated by the world as world. That's what Hashem wants. That this dwelling place in the lower realms needs to be generated by the world as world. This is known as mitzad tachtonim. And that is the next level that we're going to get to. Mitzad tachtonim is from the perspective of the lower world. What does this mean? For example, the example can be drawn from the story. The, the classic example of this is the Jews being taken out of Egypt. The Medrash says that many Jews in Egypt were immersed in idol worship. Basically, the truth is that they were not worthy of being redeemed. But Hashem says, you're my people. On the 15th of Nisan, in the year 2448 from creation, out you go. But the people say, we have idols in our backyard. Where are we going? Hashem knows what he's doing. And it says, you better run out of Egypt. Why do you have to run? Drop everything. Drop everything and go. The Jewish ancestors, the people who lived in Egypt, they were not strong in belief. They didn't believe in God. This was the nature of the redemption from Egypt, the exodus from Egypt. This redemption and revelation were not from their perspective, but rather were from the perspective of Hashem, which essentially takes over and gives power. But as soon as Hashem takes away his koach, as soon as Hashem takes away his power, the person to whom the power was given will go back to being the same. If Hashem removes his power from the person, the person will go back to the same idol worship. The next day after going out of Egypt, everyone was still the same as before. Which means the idea of leaving Egypt was something that came from above. It wasn't from the, the lower perspective. It was something that came up. Hashem said, if you don't leave now, you're never going to leave. 
So what you have to do is leave. Just drop everything and go as fast as you can. Don't even make your bread. Let it rise on your backs because you have no choice. If you stay one moment longer, then you're not going to be redeemed. But that was it. And then the Jewish people were redeemed and they went back to the same thing. That's how the golden calf happened. Until the 49 days of traveling to Mount Sinai did anything happen. Those days known as Sefirat HaOmer are symbolic of the transformation that comes from gaining a new perspective generating from within a person's character. Each of the 49 days represent a different emotional revelation. It's, that is the process of going from zero to 50. And that's when you can receive the Torah. That is mitzad tachtonim. That's from our perspective. Now I'll explain it in today's context. A student goes to class. A student takes notes. Hears everything that the professor is saying. And understands it. But it's not him. It's not where he's coming from. It's not who he is. That is, it doesn't come from his perspective. It comes from the perspective of the professor. It comes from the professor explaining the concepts. He understands them, but it's not him. It's not mitzad tachtonim. He has been fed information. He has all the data, but he doesn't live it. It's additional information that's being stored in his mind. And so even though it would be considered bitachtonim, it would be considered that now he has it. It's in this world. It's in his life. It's in his notes. Look at his book. Yet it was initiated from something outside of his essence, outside of his true self. Why is it important from Hashem's perspective that the motivation come from him? This is the next question. Why? So what happens? Why can't Hashem just give us a blast of light? Hashem is eternal. Hashem, just give us a blast of lightning. Please, Hashem, why are you making this so complicated for us? Why is this world so complicated? Why do we have to go through this whole process? Make it very easy. Just give me every single, every single person who's born. Give me the sprinkle. And then I'll know everything. I'll know the truth. I'll know the essence. I'll know the purpose. And I'll do my purpose in this world. And we'll make you happy. I promise you I'll make you happy. Why do you have to give me evil? Why do you have to give me lusts? Why do you have to give me desires, momentary desires, eternal desires? Just give me the sprinkle. I want, to, I want to know you. My, I, I, in essence, that's, I know it's my soul. I know it's the right thing to do. It's very hard for me to do. Why are you making it so hard? Make it, re, make it easy for me. And this is one of the most beautiful ideas within Kabbalah. Kabbalah explains with an analogy. Very often, Kabbalah uses the analogies of kings. You'll find that throughout sprinkled throughout all of the Kabbalistic writings, the idea of a king, why? It refers to Hashem as a king. Today in our world, we can't truly appreciate what a king is. A king had the ability to extend the scepter and death their life. The idea of the monarch, the king. The king is a king in his palace because his palace is entirely expressive of his true essence. This can be true of every person, but it's made clearer by thinking of the king. The king in his place is at home. He can be dressed. He can be undressed. He can wear any garments. He can act any way he wants because he's in the palace. And everybody knows in the, in the, when the king is in the palace, the king is the king. You don't have to, to, to wear the crown in the palace. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. But the moment you enter the palace, you have a certain awe and a certain sense of wonder towards the king. 
doesn't matter how the king looks. See, someone says, that's the king. Oh, I'm in the palace. Usually if there's a palace, there's a king. On the other hand, when the king appears in public, he expresses himself in the royal garments. It's kind of like a disguise. The king's essence is expressed in the palace. But in public, the king has to wear royal garments. Otherwise, you wouldn't notice that the king is the king. This concept is known as the essence. This is etzem. Hashem wants his home to be a place where he can express his essence. Hashem wants your home to be a place where Hashem can express his essence. The only way this is possible is if the home is made out of essence material. It would be inappropriate to have a king dwell with an old broken down shed in the middle of the woods. Why? Because it's not respectful for a king and what the king represents. The same logic applies to our mission in making a home for God, making this world a home for God. If the home isn't generated by living people in this material world, but rather by God's initiative, this is like having an old broken shed in the middle of the forest. Because the inhabitants of this world haven't done anything for Hashem, but have remained in the old self. They've remained in the old broken shed. They've, they're complacent. They're self-centered. But what Hashem wanted in creating the world was to be appreciated from the human perspective. He wanted each person's essence to be there for him. He wanted a transformation of human character. This transformation would be the only way of welcoming him into the house. The Jewish essence greeting the divine essence. The entire purpose for creation is for us to go through the trials and tribulations of life, for us to go through the struggles and us to overpower those momentary lusts us to overpower those momentary desires and become a great person to change. When Hashem, when we change, Hashem says, wow, I cannot believe what possessed this person to find spirituality in their life. What possessed this person to change in their life? That is the most amazing thing. And you see it in someone's face. Their face changes when they change. They're not the same person they were. Their, their whole being changes. Their essence changes. And eventually, their lust changes. Okay. That's a lot. Let's just rewind a little bit. Okay. So I just want to know that, that I just said there's a couple of pieces missing. Okay. okay. So a king is in his place alone. He can act any way he wants. He's, his essence is, right? It's, it's, he's in his palace. That's right. But when, when the king expresses himself in a public place, he must be in his royal garment. That's right. In a way, he's, he's hiding his true essence. That's right. He has no choice. He has no choice. He's in public. He's a king. He's yeah. a king. His true essence, in a way, is concealed. That's right. Can you say that? Yes. Okay. And so... He has to conceal his true essence. He has no choice, yeah. He, he, has, he has to conceal his if, 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 if the king walked into the, to speak and he was naked... Everybody would say, what is this, a king? Why is our king naked? The king can't have the essence when he's Remember in public. Already, already David Melia did it. Yeah. And all the problem that Yeah, brings. exactly. Exactly. And, and so, so our mission... Case is, in point. <laughs> our mission is making this world a home for God. That's right. 
and they're therefore going from our perspective and going through that. That's right, going through the trials and tribulations, going through the struggle, going through everything and being able to make our home a home for God. So, so, that, so that God can reveal his true essence in our house. That's so, right. So God can be comfortable in our house. That's right. He doesn't have to wear the garments. That's right. He can just be chill in our house. That's why the most important place in Judaism is the home. But you know, Rabbi, I, I have something to say, and it's just like this. I just, uh, uh, I just come off in, in uh, just, you know, I th- when you see, uh, you see, when you hear everything we said and everything, and, and the way you, you, you put it, it's, it's amazing still because it looks like, uh, and, and I say it with the, you know, like, yeah, you know, I understand. Like I say, it's, it's like a game. It's like it would be somebody, you know, like just throw things and just. Yeah, I don't know if you understand what I mean, but in a good way. I don't yeah, say yeah, it, I understand. In a bad way. It's but the it's Hashem just, video game. Yeah, it's like somebody just like, it's the power, and it's just like, show like different lives, and, and just see it, how it, it, uh, it, it turns out, and sometimes and, and intervene a little bit, let it roll a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's, I don't know, it's, it's something incredible to see it uh, like this in a way to me. That's why many, uh, I would say writers, they, they call it the game of life, in a way that, we, you know, we enter, uh, we have a path, and you know, like, it's just cool. Yeah. Enjoy it, you know. And um, I find it's, it's, it's still uh, amazing, you know, uh, when, when you see it like this. Because this is like to, I, I would say, personate uh, Hashem. But, but in a fact, it, it, it's much more, uh, how you call this, uh, uh, it, it's not that, because we, we need this explanation, like you said, to understand at our level. But in fact, if you think about it, it's something much more layers, much more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think also in the <laughs> modern world today in 2018, it, there's even more layers than ever because what exactly. happens, what happens exactly. is that when you look at different stages of evolution of mankind, okay, at a certain point, God really was in the public place. Yeah, Absolutely. Right? Like everybody was religious, everybody was this, 100%. so it was there. And so these analogies were a little <laughs> more tangible for us. Exactly. Okay? Today, but we all know today with our minds that these were all just analogies and some people took the analogies for being real and I was really the emissary of God. Like, people took it, human beings being what they are, they took these things too literally and too concretely true uh, for their own understanding probably of the true nature of this right? Right. as an analogy. And so, so maybe God concealed himself even more, okay, yeah. and became even more uh, distant and not visible. Because in the end, exactly. God is not visible. No, exactly. He hides himself <laughs> more now, and we have to and reveal so now it. Now we uh, are, are the now nature. No, but the nature no, of exactly what the nature of our struggle today, today. The nature of our spiritual struggle today, totally, in totally. a way, is the true ultimate spiritual totally. struggle. Is that we totally. have to find make a home for God, who is completely invisible, an invisible yeah. home for God in a way. And but that is the reality because eno demutaguve eno right? By the way. Kabbalah, I believe, and this is my own interpretation, yeah. was not speaking to the Jews of a thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. Kabbalah was speaking to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's why we are studying it mm-hmm. today. And that's why it's so important to live as a Jew today. Because it wasn't a thousand years ago, like you said, the king analogy worked perfectly. It was, there. It, was there. it was all there. It was a joke. Yeah, what do you want this way, that way? Let's go to the homes. Okay, cool. I'm going to make some. There was for two the generations. According, if you look at Jewish history, there were two generations that needed it the most: the generation of Egypt, maybe the generation of Hanukkah, if you want to debate that. Also, the Hellenists, and the generation of today. 
But today it's even worse, Rabbi, because today we don't even have the benefit. Please interpret my words correctly. We don't even have the benefit of persecution. Right. Because when you have persecution, when you have persecution, even in Israel, different kind of persecution. But when you have persecution, you have automatically a built-in purpose that aligns perfectly with your own survival. It's, 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 it's... No, but I think this is the essence of the, the, the Jewish people too, in a way that they would never become what they became if they were not all through the yes, history I agree with you. what they would have But at face. the same time, you could find a purpose that is intimately linked with your own human physical yeah. survival, and it has ultimate significance right away, immediately, right there. Just the fact of being alive alone is, is already a worthwhile purpose. We don't have that today. We don't have that at all. We are we're completely alive with no real um, threats to our existence. So that's a, the no, but you know that the link with death is change. It's hard. It's hard to the, touch. No, but you see that the, 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 during Soviet Russia and Europe, there was a very, there, there was a big problem. There was actually a shidduch crisis. You know what a shidduch crisis yeah. is? Today there's a shidduch crisis. They were having a trouble. Why? Because the men were very religious and the women were not. That was the, one of the issues during Europe is that the women were very secular. They were more uh, uh, secular educated. The men were not as much secular educated. So I, I'm, when I was a teenager, I knew about this old chassid. And he lived in, he was from Russia. He had, I think, nine girls. Nine girls, maybe eight or nine girls. And eight or nine girls, his wife passed away in childbirth. And he raised all the kids himself. And every single one of them went on to be matriarchs of incredible religious families. So I remember asking him, I went over to him, I had such a desire to find out, how did you do it? I knew that it was impossible to raise religious girls in that time period in Europe. But each one of them became matriarchs. What did you do? So he said to me, there was, he had two rules at home. The first rule is that the girls would go to theater. Everyone went to theater, especially in Russia. Theater was, they could only go to non-Jewish theater. They couldn't go to Jewish theater because at Jewish theater, they made fun of Judaism. So he said, at least in the secular theater, it was secular, whatever they were doing, they were doing. But in the Jewish, he didn't want his girls to be exposed because the moment they make fun of Judaism, as kids, they're black and white. He -hmm. said the number one issue that kids have today is when the parents make fun of Judaism or when their world makes fun of Judaism, they don't know the difference. They don't have gray like like adults have. They don't know the difference. So what ends up happening is they they, they see, oh, if, if... if you're making fun of Judaism, the rabbis are bad, Judaism is bad, it's all bad, There's what am I gonna bother? No they, 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 they lose the value of it. Yeah. And the second thing is, he said, he required the girls to be home every Friday night for Shabbat dinner. There was no, they had to be home for Shabbat dinner, no matter what. And he spent the entire dinner telling them miracle stories of tzaddikim. Miracle stories of what? Of, of holy people. And he said that children need to have that kind of 
idea that the miracle stories of 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 the of Sadiqim, of holy people they inspire the world they inspire our lives this is what he told me that that was the, the those were the two secrets <laughs> it sounds so simple huh? but it's simple yeah good and and i think that it's it's interesting cuz i i i I spent time and I talked, you know, it's a big debate today whether you should talk to kids about miracle stories of, of, of holy people. And I see the kids in their imagination, they truly, they truly see it in a different level. They don't see it the way we see it. And, and if you live, if you're a child that has an underdeveloped mind and you live in a world of black and white, it's very important for miracles to exist in your life. Look at how popular superheroes are for kids. So why can't we tell the miracle stories of Tzedekin? Because you know the answer to that. I know. So now, I want to go to the next level. Let's continue. Yeah, yeah, of course. But it's true, interesting, because in a world with no miracle, there are no possibilities outside of the rules. Right? And look at the way kids are brought up today. They go to school, every minute of the day is governed by the rules. They go to activities, they don't play with each other spontaneously anymore. They go with the parents, supervised for an hour, everything is under the rules. That's right. Then they have to go get a career, everything is under the rules. Then they have to go in the workplace, everything is under the rules. They have to get their taxes, da 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 da. Every single action of every single day is governed by the regulations. There's no possibility to break free from it. The principle of a, of a miracle, when you look behind the physical manifestation of the miracle, the principle of the miracle is that there's human beings have the ability to tap into somehow to bend a transcendent reality, okay. bend reality. Me, something you, amazing can happen. You, you can ask. The, there's nothing the, amazing that can happen today. You can ask. Abi, I have a kid. Me, I have, I have twins. Okay, one is uh, how old? The other one is seven years old. Twins, and one is Diego. Diego. Is totally a free spirit. In, in a way, no, no, I'm not joking. He has no filter. He does what he, want, he, he, what he wants to do, what he wants to do. And it's really crazy, even at school, you know, in yeah. the middle of a classroom, he can you stand up and get out. You just take a walk. <laughs> I like this kid. I know, he's, he's something else. And he, everybody knows because he's, he's, he's something else. I mean, seriously, yeah. you know. And so I see. And your other uh, son is not yeah, like that. Yeah, no, he's, he's totally like the opposite. He's, he's like, like by the oh, yeah, oh, yeah, he's like competitive. The other one, he doesn't care. He can lose a hundred times to a game. He, he doesn't have oh, that uh, thing. He just right. wants to play, have fun. Whatever the, 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 the issue result of it, the result, you know? Interesting. So it's very interesting. And what I want to say is, there's some individual, that's my point, and I think my son is part of this, who's different and, and really break uh, uh, that thing all the time, you know? Because, and I think big artists, like you said, Picasso, or uh, I just came to my mind, no? or Dali, or... I think it's those guys they were out of it all the time. You know, they, they could like tap into that world, whatever they want all the time be there, you know? And I think this is like very particular to, to child or so, you know? Uh, and, and, uh, and I think that's what us... But he's going to have to learn how to learn. I don't know. We have problems. You can ask him. But it's, it's interesting because, else, my because your two kids, they sound like they have something to learn yeah, from yeah. each other, right? No, but discipline is very hard. I mean, I, I, I love him, you know, but I, he, he, grandmother is right here. He's something else. Like oh, yeah? That. So what? In discipline. Yeah, yeah. He's, oh. he's, but he's a good kid. He's a very good kid. Yeah, you know, okay, big heart, but he's like a free... 
un électron libre. Ouais, 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 je vois. But it's, it's fun, huh? me, I want to laugh most of the time. You see that? It's but like, I can, because if I, 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 know. I you know, I have you have to show, impose the oh, discipline, yeah. yeah. But most of the time, I just want to crack out. Yeah. Ah, on va juste rigoler. Il est super. Parce qu'il est, il est adorable. Yeah, yeah, It's just a character. Yeah, 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 yeah. But what I want to say is like some individual, you know, thanks Hashem, you know, this, they have this, this uh, faculties of uh, easier to go out of the box and, and, and be very, You know, like it's in another uh, another zone. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's also the the idea of a miracle. Also, is that you know the idea that anything could happen. The idea that you can break free from 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 again. You know, yeah, from naturalism books. is that uh, the extreme version of naturalism, which is what we have today with the high priest of science, is that everything. The fact that I'm going to take this cup or not is predetermined yeah, by yeah, physical. That's already right? in a way. Like so yeah, so we have no freedom actually. Everything. There's no, there's no freedom of the will, no freedom of choice. No dream right? anymore. Like no consciousness. There's nothing. No dream, no everything dream. is determined by the rules. Okay. Huh? And the idea of, of a miracle <laughs> is that yeah, is that. That's not totally true. I don't believe in miracles. This now 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 let's go to the the, the next level. It's always the next level. We can't enjoy this level. <laughs> the guys that come from Israel and consider themselves as Kabbalists, how can truly it, it is? Depends on the person. I don't know. It depends on who, who they are. I, I, I don't, you know. Ouais, ouais, faut, faut que tu regardes le pédigré, là. Ben là, you know, he considers himself as a Kabbalist, and I will ask What him does something. that mean? There's no, there's no I don't know, exactly. Certificate. And, and when I ask him something, and I said, only miracle will do such and such thing, he says, this miracle will happen. And definitely it's happened. So for me, but for me, it was a miracle. So maybe okay. it's, it's good, maybe. So what's the problem? So it's good. What's the guess I was going to say? Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. You know, I like like that. I said to him because he came from Israel, and I went to see him. It was two in the morning, and I said, I "Need to ask him something." And he said, "I said only if miracle will happen." He says, "Miracle will happen," and then it's happened. But at least he came from Israel, not from Taiwan or something else. Could be from anywhere, <laughs> but he considered himself as a Kabbalist. So. This concept, this concept that we're talking about, is known as an illuminated right home. There are two parts to a home. One is the house itself, the rooms, the walls, the ceiling, the furniture. The second is The, all the items that make the house beautiful, the lights, the decor, the style, the color. What does that mean spiritually? What do we learn from the idea that Hashem has some kind of home that is dark and bare from the fact the same home is then lit up? This is the concept of alichtikardira. Lichtik means bright and illuminated. A person can be in a home that's dark and filthy, living there and having some form of existence. However, existence in that environment is going to cramp and confine the spirit. On the other hand, 
If the home is beautifully painted, if the home is beautifully decorated in the latest fashion, it's going to create an entirely different type of existence for this individual. Because this well-lit and bright home is truly a place where Hashem's essence can manifest. The moral realm is the same as true. Hashem says, I want Taiva, a bright and illuminated home. Yeah, I could be in a dark home. But in order for you and I to realize and appreciate our relationship, you need to make your home manifestly godly. Saying God is all present and all powerful is true. But if it remains in words and doesn't express itself in action, it's considered a dark home. The dark home is the words and the light home is the action. Hashem says, I don't feel at home. I know that it's possible for me to be here, but I don't feel at home here. This is why it is Hashem's will that the dira, that the place in this world be made in a manner that's that's expressive to Hashem's essence and the human essence. So now, let's understand in essence. Let's go to etzem, to the deepest forms of Hashem. How do we broaden our horizon by understanding the essence, the integral aspect of the essence? Kabbalah says that if an essence is in its essence state, then it's completely essence throughout. There's two concepts that Kabbalah uses to clarify this. The first concept is called Kol Etzem Bilte Miskalek. Every essence is not divisible. If an essence is not divisible, then it's an entity and it's complete. And the second is Kol Etzem Bilte Mispashet. That every essence does not extend itself. You probably are wondering what the heck is going on. Let me explain it. Can you please repeat that the first time? Ko etzem built in That every essence is not divisible. Every, every essence is, is not, not divisible. Okay. And because if it was divisible, it then would not, the it would not entity be an is that that then the then an entity it's complete. And the okay. second and is ko etzem built in Every essence doesn't extend itself. If it's an essence, it can't extend itself. So let me explain it, okay? Just follow my train of thought here. It's a very complicated idea. What does it mean that an essence is not divisible? A person whose MO, whose modus operandi, is truth in essence, is gonna be truthful everywhere. They are in essence truth. So everywhere they are, whether they're home, whether they're outside, whether they're with people, not with people, they're gonna be truth. Not only will they behave this way in a proper environment that corresponds to their beliefs, that corresponds to their lifestyle, they're going to behave this way at work, where their their co-workers are observing them, but also in places that are distant, where no one sees them, where they can do whatever they want in their bedrooms. If it's true, if it's truth, if it's essence, then they're going to be this way, true and true and true. So it's, in, it's the concept of integrity. There too, it's integrity. he's going to activate his essence and not be swayed by those foreign forces. 
because that's what the essence is. He is who he is, and therefore there's no difference of who he is outside and who he is inside. So the essence is true all over. Even if he's in a place that seems to act in a different sense of rules from his, he's not affected because he's expressing, living and walking and breathing his essence. This essence is indivisible. He doesn't say, I left that part of my essence back home. Now that I'm away from my community, I'll act with that part of me that wants to behave in ways that are contrary to my real true self. This is not a person connecting to their essence because essence can't be divided. This is true. This is either true or false all the time. But I'll explain it this way. A person's essence is an absolute non-derivative. It's non-composite state of being that is fundamental to their very existence. One of the great debates in the, in the 50s, when the, the Rebbe started sending out shluchim all over the world, many rabbis were, were in an uproar. What are you doing to these poor rabbinical students? They're fresh out of yeshiva. You're sending them to these God-forsaken places. They're going to get affected by it. So, so one, one rabbi came to the rabbi and said, I don't understand really what you're doing. You're really, you're destroying your community. You're destroying these poor innocent souls. You're sending these young rabbis to the middle of nowhere. They're going to get affected. They're, they're, they're going to get affected. So... He, the example he gives the Rebbe is he says, imagine you take a hot pot of water and you put it in a cold bathtub. Eventually, the, 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 hot, the, hot, pop is, the hot pot is going to cool off because the cold bathtub is more water than the pot. And it's going to cool off. So these, maybe today they're inspired. Maybe they're, today they're connected. But eventually they're going to cool off. So the Rebbe said, it's true. You're right. If you take a hot pot of soup, and you put it in a cold bathtub, it's going to cool off. Ah, but the Rebbe says, what if the pot is still plugged in? <laughs> then the bathtub becomes hot. That's it. It gets warm. And that was the Rebbe. <laughs> that was the Rebbe. No, said. And, and you know what I This I, was exactly, this yeah. is why the Rebbe said, my, my yeah. students, the, my, the people who are going to these places, they understand this essence. Their essence is who they are in private and who they are in public. It's the same essence. That's who they are. They understand who they are. They're connected to their essence. And being connected to their essence, what's going to happen? Not only are they going to remain inspired and connected, but the people around them are going to become inspired. Because they, they in the hostile environment. We go back to that's what we said. That's right. Him, that was the brilliant plan, I think, of the, of the Rebbe there. Because he was like, I'm going to put them in an awkward situation. They're going to hold on to what? Judaism, man. They're going to be like, just, you know, they are going to have no choice. Because if they're in the environment with the yeshiva, everybody around, it's easy. I have, you know, I, have a, I have a very close friend who's the Chabad rabbi in Ghana. Yeah. And I was, I was FaceTiming him yeah. yesterday. And he says, oh, he steps out of the Chabad. And he, he shows, he turns the phone around. You have no idea. It's, it's swamps. He's literally living in the... It's disgusting. Wow. I, I'm, I need everything to be clean. I could never handle it for two seconds. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how he lives that Maybe way. that's where you need to go next. 
Yeah. No, thank you. Ghana. No, thank you. <laughs> but the, re- the Rebbe also told some people, no, you're not going to yeah. petition. Yeah. He told them. Yeah, some people, the Rebbe said that uh, they, they wanted they weren't. to go and he's like, yeah. no. Because he yeah. knows them and probably he said he's yeah. not strong enough. Maybe the Rebbe himself. Indivisible uh, essence. One of those, some of those people are people who are well-known and famous. The Rebbe said not that they, they can't go. And we see what they did. He we himself. See. Well, designated the Shluchim yes. in his, when he was alive? Yes. And after him, how does it get? There's a council, I guess? It's finished now. Oh, not this. It's like a wild west. Uh, really? Yeah. yeah. Anybody? Really? Okay. Everybody's <laughs> his own boss now. It's, it's totally the wild west. No, there was a lot more. When the Rebbe was alive, it was very different. Today when he was alive, he, but he personally designated the Today, Chabad doesn't exist. Mm. Wow. It doesn't no, exist. It, it, no, I understand what he says. It exists in a myth, but the... the, it's, the, the it's people, not organized. It's not people, there, are, there are university studies on the success of Chabad because Chabad has become, today, the Chabad has become the largest Jewish organization in the world. But it's not an organization. It doesn't even exist. But of course it is. There is still an organization of Where? Chabad. No. In New York, no? In Brooklyn or... No? No. The, the Jewish Learning Institute and all it's, that. It's its own entity. It's, a, it's own private entity. It's a pro- own private entity. I don't, I, don't, I don't do anything with it. And, and you Either I can pay for it or I cannot pay for it. And you're not unified by one... There's not one spiritual leader? The only thing that is we're unified... The only thing that we're unified by is the Rebbe's teachings. Ah, wherever you go, wherever you go to any Chabad house in the world, okay. you're going to find that each Chabad rabbi and Rebbetzin live by the Rebbe's teachings. And that's why there's such a similarity. But there isn't one... Are there a number of, of unanimously recognized uh, religious like leaders? No. Like, is there like a dozen that people say these no. dozen are... No. Not no. It's set up like... Is there ever going to be a Rebbe again? No. no. It's set up like the like Red Brigade cells. It's unbelievable. You know? It's unbelievable. It doesn't make sense to me. It's unbelievable. But wait a minute. He didn't have a lineage after him, like some of his disciples, that he was like, this guy... No, there are people who were well-respected, his, his old secretaries, his, the people who were around him. So we know who these people are. We know who they so are, but, but they have no lineage. power. But there's a lineage, though. There's no lineage, that's it. Lineage, like, Last time I asked you, who was the big Siddiqui who never had kids? Or never, I'll ask you who never got married. You never got married. I should have asked you who never got kids. Yeah. But let me ask you, the people that, uh, there is, there absolutely must be a lineage of the Rebbe, because he had the Rebbe, his people, today his people have their people. That's not how it works. There's no <laughs> hierarchy. I know there's no hierarchy, but there must be a lineage. No, it's just the Rebbe's teachings. That's it. Okay. It's amazing. It's amazing that, that, that it's, it's, an, it's an unbelievable miracle that it exists That's with incredible. such a peace. And they and let such... anybody use the name Chabad. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, who's they? Well, I'm, I, I'm going to look into this if, if the name Chabad is trademarked by anyone. It's not trademarked. I want to tell you. Do you want to, you want to know how Chabad and DG started? Do you want to know how Chabad and DG started? Chabad and DG started the following. We, Sarah and I, were living in Montreal. We yes. had a, we we had, we were brought we were brought to Montreal for a specific reason. We what there was a, we were brought for we, we had a number of jobs. We were not brought by anyone. I had a, a, the way the Chabad and started was the following. I was teaching in a school in Ottawa. Suddenly, the the principal of the school died. He was literally he literally one day he just dropped dead, and we couldn't continue the school. And I just gotten married. Sarah and I were married for six months, and so I don't know what to do now. 
Like we just had, I thought I was going to be there forever. I loved the school. I was the principal of the school. I just, I couldn't. Is that a high school? Or like it was a high school. It was a high school. A high school in Ottawa. Like a Jewish? A Jewish high school in Ottawa. It was a half yeshiva, half trade school. Where was it in Ottawa? It was in the West End of Ottawa, near Carling and Kirkwood. Okay. I, and, no, I lived there for four years. I did my law school there. Yeah. So, so I, I also lived there for four years. Okay. I loved it. So, I loved it. Oh, that's it. We just married six months. We just moved there. And the whole yeshiva just closed. It collapsed. So I had a friend here in Montreal and he said, come to Montreal for a few months and you'll look for a job. And you'll... So I said, okay. So I started getting, I had a, an offer in Boulder, Colorado, I had an offer, different places. I was looking for, you know, where I was going to go. I, was, I, I wanted to be really, I, my, my, my goal at the time was I wanted to be a pulpit rabbi. Like I wanted to get hired by a synagogue and uh, to be a pulpit rabbi. So when I came here, I heard the, so someone told me, I was just, I was, wasn't planning on being here. I said, look, you're here. There's a, there's a synagogue that needs a rabbi. Why don't you apply for the job? So I applied for the job to the synagogue. And they hired me. One of the big synagogues in town. And the Chai? Is it the Chai? No, no, no. no it's a, it was a big synag- one of the big synagogues here. I'm, I'm not going to tell you which one because I'm going to speak negative about it. <laughs> and I couldn't handle it. The board was just... Beyond, beyond limiting. I, 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 I could not handle the politics. There's no way. All so it's okay. This synagogue life is not for me. <laughs> it's just it's like one step forward, ten steps back. It was a. There's no. I'm not. I'm not going to spend my life trying to build up a dead duck. Yeah. It was. It was. Uh, so I. After ten months, I resigned. And then we, I started looking. In the meantime, while I resigned. There was all these young Jews that started coming to me and saying, there's nothing. And really, this is 15 years ago. Nothing was going on in the city for them. There was nothing. No synagogues. There was nothing. If you were from university until there was the whole idea of young professionals was just becoming this thing where people are not getting married. They're not having families. They're kind of this like this lull time for 10, 15 years in between university and starting off your family life. And so... I remember, I, so I said, okay, let's make an event. So we made a Hanukkah party. I was expecting 50 people there. We had 300 people there. And then I started a relationships class and I started different things. And then I, I asked people, where are you hanging out? So they said, we hang out in Monkland. So I said, okay, that sounds good. So these were all students. And then the love rabbi was born. And so, yeah. then, so then I said, you know what? I looked around. I, I, see, I see there's no Chabad in the NDG area. So I said, okay, let's start a Chabad in the NDG area. So I started teaching a class at Second Cup on Monkland. I had a class every single week, and then we started having a couple of different events. And then we decided we did Rosh Hashanah, so we rented out uh, Yakimono, the sushi bar, yeah. on uh, on Kerry, was empty Rosh Hashanah because they're not open. So I asked them, can we rent the sushi bar? That's great. And we emptied it out, and we rented it, and we had a Rosh Hashanah service and a Yom Kippur service in the sushi bar. Wow. And then... <laughs> and then uh, somebody said at, at that service, says, we have to start something here. I said, okay, fine. Sounds like a good idea. And there was a woman who was very, very, she passed away. Wonderful woman. She said, you have to, you have to start a place. So, I, so we started looking around for a place. And some guy, we found a Jewish landlord and he said, we'll give you space for free. I was so excited. We'll give you space. Okay. So I went to meet him. And then when I met him, he's like, eh, actually, I'm not going to give you space for free. <laughs> so but already I was, it was already kind of in motion. Like I wasn't going to let go. So we signed the lease on the corner of Hampton and Monkland. Didn't have a penny. 
Not a penny. No one said anything. No one said, you go here, you do this. No, we signed. We put us, we, we signed the lease. We put a sticker on the window. It said Chabad NDG. And we started. <laughs> that was it. Just need the wheel. That was it. The rest, the rest followed. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That is the origins of Chabad and DG. The real... Amazing. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. It's, 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 it's how true stories started. And then, obviously, there's a whole, there's a whole story. Know, We're moving, there's moving. A there's, moving. Fires, there's a lot, there's a lot of... It's, it's still the beginning. A lot of incarnation. still the beginning in many ways. No, it's a rebirth. It's a, re, it's a rebirth every time. Yeah. The, this is exactly the way the Rebbe wanted. want to build a... The, the Rebbe wanted that the Chabad houses should open... And that each one should be independently funded by the local people. Because the Rebbe said, when the local people fund it, they're going to have a vested interest exactly. in it, and they're going to help build it. That it's was the Rebbe's it's vision. Be a true community. It's going to be a real community. The Rebbe There's wanted to create. The Rebbe wanted to create a true anarchist community, yes. a people building. By themselves. I call, I call it more free market capitalism. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's the same, you get to a point where it's the yeah. same thing. No, they're yeah. very closely related. That's right. Of course they are. Because yeah. when it's, it's a bunch of No, but the rabbis said that's, that the, that's the future community. of Judaism. And look, you, you see that. What are we doing? We're all sitting here. Imagine, imagine me. I was sent from someone from New York. All my money was coming from New York. What vested interest would we all have sitting around the table? See, here we are. There's a give and take relationship. It's a very, very important The Rebbe said it's a very important thing that there's a give and take relationship in everything because you appreciate it more when, when, when you have a vested interest, when you have skin in the game. When they did the big time yeah. dash, remember? They yes. Everybody brought high Everyone brought whatever they could, right? They had to. And what is the Western Wall? What's the, what's the secret? Why is it still around? Because that Western Wall was built by the poor people. Yeah. Every person Great. gave a brick. And that is the symbol of Jewish community, that mm -hmm. every person give a brick. Let's, I want to just finish this concept right here. The, the non-extension. Yeah. Yeah. What does it mean, an essence that doesn't extend itself? This is the, the second part, right? We had first an essence that it, it's non-divisible. Non-divisible. That's non-divisible. What's the essence that doesn't extend itself? Do we, don't we find that a person who's truthful in various places, it would seem that his truthful character in each place is an extension of his essential truthfulness. But in fact, the change of situation does not affect the essence. The entire essence is with him. If a person has extended himself, he has concealed his essence. And not all of his personality is functioning in the same way it usually does. It would not be an essence. The extension could, however, be what Kabbalah calls a giloi, a revelation, a manifestation. In God's, in speaking of God himself, the concept of giloi is often mentioned in Kabbalah in connection with light. It's called giloi or, meaning the revelation coming from the place within God that has contracted, that has hidden his essence, only vivifying the world with his extension. Giloi or. The concept of giluyim, of manifestations, is used to refer to creation in the sense of an external manifestation that is affected by the world. To give a practical example, here it is. There are times when a person may take into consideration what people will say about their particular behavior. Let's say we'll go a little step further. What people will say about their religious behavior. 
After all, since humans were created on this planet, we're affected by, by what people say about us. There's no question about it. People dress a certain way based on what other people are saying. And it's quite possible that deep down, they're very uncomfortable with their wavering frenzies. Since Jews truthfully know who they are, they have the right and an obligation to say to themselves, enough with this pleasing others. It's time to please God. These two attitudes would be examples of an extension in essence. The first reaction is the analogy to the concept of the extension, since it extends the true self and goes outside of what we're really about. On the other hand, the second response is similar to the concept of an essence, since it responds with truth coming from the person's essence, which doesn't care what people will say, and that's important, is what God says. I don't care what you say. You want to say, you want to say that I'm any, good. You want to say that I don't uh, belong here, good. You want to say that, uh, call me whatever you want to call me. Because it doesn't matter, it doesn't affect me. Oh, sticks and stones may break my bones, that whole thing. We're not even going there. You can say whatever you want. My job in this world is to please God, not to please you. You're not the author of my life. You don't decide how my life lives. God is the author of my life, and that's my job, just to please him. And this is the exact reason why Kabbalah explains the concept that Moshe, Moses, was a neshama of Ma. What is the neshama of Ma? The soul of the level of godliness coming from Ma. Ma is one of God's holy names. It's the numerical equivalent of 45. This godly name retains its identity wherever it is. Therefore, our sages teach us that Moses was born three months premature. Kabbalah says the reason that Moses was born so pure is that he retained his purity even though he did not have the last three months of pregnancy to protect him. Moshe was a soul so unaffected by the world what he did not need, that additional refinement. He was pure in the level of ma. The level of 45, the name of Hashem that equals 45, symbolizing the purity and the pristine state of the essence throughout. This is analogous to the idea that a state of essence is indivisible and non-existible. <clears throat> the entire purpose of creation, the entire purpose is for us not to get influenced by what other people say. That is our job in this world. It's not their place. Who are you? Are you the author of my life? All of a sudden, someone says something, I have a bad day. You, you who I, have so much authority over me, my gosh, I wish God had that kind of authority over me. <laughs> I, wish God, I wish that God had that kind of authority. That literally, you can destroy my entire day by saying something about me. People, today, it's crazy. People take down Instagram posts because there's not enough likes. In our world, who would imagine that we live in a world of social media that people literally define their world based on what other people like and say? It's so apparent in this world like never before in history through social media. Plus create damage. Tremendous amount of damage. Tremendous amount of damage. You are not the author of my life. You can say whatever you want. 
You can say however you want to, but I am unwavering, like the still waters beneath. I'm unwavering. I only please Hashem. That is the purpose of me being in this world. And when, in the lowest of the realms, we create the Dira Patachtonim, we create a dwelling place for God, in the lowest of realms, when we please Hashem in this world, and we create a home for Him, not just a dirty home that's dark through speech, a home through action, a home through our deeds, through our good deeds. When we create this home, we change the entire cosmos because we, we then uplift this world to the entire purpose through which this world was created. Yeah, but I mean, without being pessimistic, but don't you think that that I mean that that part of the the, the people in the world that are really like uh, I would say aware about things and try to be more conscious, it's too little compared to the old the the, the in a way that that struggle. I, I know it's after you're gonna tell me, but look at the Jews, <laughs> but you know the small amen, but the difference they make, but still. You know, it's, it's, it's a big fight because uh, mostly the Jews, the your majesty, now, the Jews. Because yeah, look, the, the mostly of the world now is they go through capitalism, they go through like uh, uh, instant gratitude things. I mean, we kind of... The, the, we, the last must Jedi, rise, you know, like, we must <laughs> rise above it. We don't have a choice. Well, we I, I must rise Jews, above it. I don't think Jews are, are insulated from, uh, from these, these challenges. The, the problem, no, no, the way no, I see no. it is the following. When you define it this way, Rabbi, again, the real problem for human beings is idolatry. Again, you go back to, all right, great. I'm going to create a world for God. Beautiful. What is that? What does that look like? And then from that place on, because of our limited mindset, because of our ignorance, because of our desire for, for premature certainty, we start creating all kinds of idols. That's the problem. The core problem. That's to me like one of the genius of Judaism. Iconoclasm. Say no. <laughs> no, it's not those things. It's not those things that you prematurely vest with uh, the power to, that you're going to worship it. No, it's not those things. It's reserve. Reserve your faith. Reserve your, your worship for something bigger, right? And, but that's the entire problem, is that people, it's a beautiful idea. People will follow to that idea. And then they will create idols. And then what's going to happen after they create idols? What's the step after idolatry? Atheism. Why? Because atheists, atheists are essentially correct. They say, this God that you have invented, this anthropocentric God, that Maimonides spends pages and pages and pages saying, this is, this is the God of the vulgar masses, okay? The anthropocentric God. But that's, that's essentially the God that religious people have created, okay? Atheists are correct. They're going to say, no, that God, it's not true. There's no evidence that it exists. And they're right. There's no evidence that God, because that God was never a God in the first place. That God was an idol. And that idol should be shattered. We all agree, Right? And so we're, we become locked in a dichotomy between idolatry and, and negationism. 
Idolatry, negationism. Idolatry, negationism. That's the state that we're in right now, right? Yeah, it's just the idol changes, not the idol. The idol, Facebook, there's an infinity of idols. There's an infinity of idols. You can create a million idols. A million and one idols, okay? And, and we do, by the way, we do. And the market does. And I mean, it's like whenever we find like a purpose for our existence, that's like, you know, like we say, like a limited taiva, taiva oriented towards like limited things that consume us. It's idols. This is what we worship. This is what we put above our conscious will and ability to control ourselves, put it above it. We worship these things, right? There's a million and one things, right? But, and then people are going to come, iconoclasts are going to come and say, yeah, no, but all of that is nonsense. Okay, perfect. They're just negating. Like, I'm there with them in the negationism and the destruction of the idols. I'm there with them. But I, I just don't understand how they stop at that point. Like, wh- how is that enough? Somebody else create, it would be like being defined by other people, right? You create a false god. No, your false god is nonsense. Okay, cool. And then what? What have I done? I've simply, exactly. what have I proved really? Exactly. I've just proved that human beings can create false god. Great. I mean, that's, I mean, Yes, yes, human beings. And, and it's been on since the beginning. Yeah, it's always. <laughs> so it's always, it's always. Day one. <clears throat> so it's a great place that we're at, right? And then after that place, I see us, society, I see us going into that idolatry, negationism. Idolatry, negationism, right? How do we break free from that? What do you think is going to happen next in our studies? I don't know what's the next concept. We're going to have to understand ourselves. First, we're going to go into our own behavior and our own understanding of ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's the only way to be able to go to the next level. You want to talk about iconoclast? You want to talk about negationism? You have to talk about yourself first. Mm-hmm. Who are you? Now that we understand the purpose of creation, what our job is in this world, the next thing we have to understand is who we are. So we're going to go into Kabbalah and behavioral psychology next. Coming soon. <laughs> next week. Going to a Wednesday near you. Interesting, interesting. No, but it's really, me too. I, so much, you know, I'm thinking about yeah. so much things. This go to my mind. No, but you know, this, this thing still, I mean, sometimes, you know, deep meditation, and you're like, mm. <laughs> you know. So a lot of and things makes no sense at the end. I know it makes sense, but I don't know. Right? It's just like sometimes things I saw, I, I find in a way caricatural, you know, that, that you see, it's like sometimes, when you see something, it goes like, man, I would see it, you know, like something, an action, and, and you would totally like see it before, but you see it because you're outside of the action. If you would be inside, oh, it's different. it would be a different, it's very different. optic. Have you, do you sometimes look at yourself from the outside? It's very hard. No, but even... even How like, can you look at yourself from the outside? Your nose I, is in the way. I, th- I think there are moments. No, but we talk about Very rare time. moments where you can do the, that. The perception very that we, are, we have of ourselves, it's totally distorted. From reality. Oh, yeah, exactly. absolutely. From the shape, from everything, you know. Absolutely. The images we have in our heads are oh, yeah, completely yeah. not real. Me, me, you know, I was working the, the most funny things. I grew up in the Shmata business, you know, with my father. Yeah, yeah. So I, I work a lot young in, in his shops, clothes shops. So we used to sell jeans and everything, you know, all these things. And you don't believe how many people, it was the more funny things, they get into the shop. And, and you know, after me, I'm used to see somebody and I tell you about his weights, yeah. his size, because I'm used to this. Yeah. Like people, they, 
like way off. Yeah, they lie. Yeah. Oh man, they come. He goes, oh me, I'm a 38. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> and I'm, yeah, like no, I'm, you wish you were. I no way, you're a 38. I mean, but you got, you can't say that. So you go like, okay, we're gonna start. I give you a couple of jeans. You know, I will see which one fit. And at the end, she works out with a 42. It's a, no, it's, no, but I mean, and she tell me, oh, it must be the cut of the jeans. It's not normal. It's it's feeling like this. And me, you know, but it's someone else's problem. Yeah, no, but that's so it's, funny. It's like my it's my, my grandmother. Uh, Moroccan grandmothers always like they, they, they always see things very very funny. Well, first of all, you know it's known no, like all the old ones. They they go they go to their doctors. They go to their doctors. They lie about their age. Okay, they lie. They don't tell them their real age because they want to be younger. And now my, my grandmother just went into like a like a home, you know. And so uh, we went to visit her and we're like, so how was it here? She's like, ah, it's only old people here. And we're looking yeah, around the so room. It's like, some women are younger but than you her. She's said, like, ah, it's only old people. You know what I said to myself? Because they asked me, don't you want to do some volunteer work? I said, no. I would like to grow older, but I don't want to be with, live with old people. Mm. You want to be surrounded with? No, I don't want any. No, 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 no. That's very depressing. No. The, the, the blessing that they used to give of a long life is that you should live a long time. In the Yiddish, they would say, but not farmer years. Not farmer years. What, is, what does that mean? Where you, you, you live to an old age, but with no purpose. Where you, you're... Oh. Farmer years. It's not that, I, uh, like I say, it's not that I don't, I see exactly where I'm going, but uh, I think I have done enough in my life, so this time is mine, and I don't want to be with old people because it's very depressing. And, 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 no, but you don't need to. I don't need to, exactly, need exactly, to. I don't need to, I mean, I like to go you have you have Samuel and Diego. What's the problem? <laughs> and you know, actually, the reason why See, Diego broke his arm again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, the reason why the I go to Israel and not to Florida oh. because Israel is full of young people. You see, all yeah. the young people. When you go <laughs> to Florida, <laughs> Israel is the land of milk and honey. Florida is the land of milk of magnesia. <laughs> <laughs> And that's why I prefer Israel over Florida. Yeah, it's more dynamic. No, dynamic and young people, young soldiers. I mean, old people are young. Yeah. So... I see what you're saying. It's true. Yeah, the worst place is here. I mean, here in the winter, it's like young people are old. (laughs) Very good. Young people are old. I know one thing about... About the uh, about the cold, if you want to keep things preserved for a long time, you put them in the freezer. Exactly, that's true. What's the problem? I don't see a problem with that. <laughs> that's why we have the winter. It yeah. preserves us, right? Exactly. Right. It's a positive way to look at it. <laughs> okay. You're also spending your life in a damn freezer. <laughs> <laughs> for a couple months here, let's go on to Tomwood. Okay. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness, and balance. This special offer has been dedicated 
and loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode. 